This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. and welcome to Chapter Tactics. This is a 40k podcast that focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host Pablo from Frontline Gaming and with me I have Mr. Sean Abuse Puppy. The one and only. And the Lady of Titan, Shaylin. Hi. So if you've been following along, this is the third episode uh, on our segment, 8th Edition 101, where we break down the different phases of the game of 40k uh, at a competitive or or tactical level and help you guys master them and hopefully let you guys learn you guys a little bit more about the ins and outs and intricacies of competitive tabletop 40k. Today we're going to talk about the psychic phase. Yep. It's, or it's an okay phase. It's it's okay. Or also, or um my favorite way of looking at it is the optional phase because there are entire factions that just ignore it. Yeah. I, I was going to say Eldar Eldar the Eldar phase, uh Zinch shooting phase. Yeah. <laughs> it's and that's been true more in other editions, but I think now there are more armies that play in the psychic phase than there had been previously. It's yeah, no it, longer quite so much of a, like, if you aren't bringing 30 dice to the table, don't even bother. Yeah, yeah, and and, and, and I do like that. We'll talk about that a little bit more, about how uh, if you're one of those armies and how certain armies and factions um, get access to little things in the psychic phase that can really help tip the scales in your favor. Uh, the, the reason why this is important is, is obviously the psychic phase is a part of the game. Um, but for those of you who are maybe listening to this thinking, well, oh, I play... I, I play Necrons or Tau. Like, like I don't really care. I kind of just lose every psychic phase, or I kind of don't pay attention. Uh, this episode is actually more designed towards you, uh, as as I understand it, or as I see. I typically see a lot of Zinch Demon players and Eldar players who under already understand the psychic phase really well, uh, and, and of course other players. Basically, if you play an army that that has a very uh, a very large psychic presence. Uh, you're you're gonna understand that phase a little bit more. So I, I geared this episode a little bit more towards defending against the psychic phase and kind of countering and and keeping an eye on on what the most powerful combinations armies can do in tournaments in the psychic phase. And there's a lot. There, there's a lot of little intricacies that you wouldn't normally expect, other than just I buffed this unit and I put a couple mortal wounds on this unit. It's actually it's a, it's a big deal. There's a whole other thing. Yeah. So we're gonna talk about all that stuff. For being an optional phase, it can be very powerful. The, right. A great way again, I look. Uh, I I think that the 
assault phase is an optional phase, so you know, <laughs> obviously that holds true across a number of different things. I, I was going to comment, uh, the basic rule about psychic powers is they often let you break or bend the rules really hard, but they're not consistent. They can, yeah. I think... That's, we'll that's get a way into to it, look at what it a little do. bit in a a moment here in terms of like what all they can do, but the the big thing I see from the psychic phase is that it allows you a a flexibility that very few other phases can because like yeah you can get your buffs elsewhere. Every army has auras. Every army has you know one off buffs from stratagems that they can use but the psychic phase gives you not just a game to game flexibility where you can change your powers whenever you need uh, but also gives you a flexibility within the course of a game where you can put those psychic powers where they're going to give you the most benefit on any given turn yes yeah and and you know the, the obviously the armies that that have you know, have the most psychic powers or more access to the most psychic tables uh, are obviously going to benefit from that flexibility and versatility. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of some of the reasons why you, uh, if you're listening to this and you don't play or you don't uh, know anything about the psychic phase or you play an army that doesn't really participate in the psychic phase, um, you know, that those are some of the things that you should really be aware of. Uh, a really great example that I think a lot of players can really benefit from kind of like a PD pod pro tip is when you someone uses the zinch power i think it's called dominate or mind control i forgot for what it's called something like that treason of zinch treason of the zinch. one you're thinking of yeah i think gene stealer mind cult control have the is other the gene stealer cult yeah equivalent. yeah so so basically uh those powers allow you to take control of a unit uh, typically a powerful shooting unit like a knight castellan or an Imperial Knight of any variety and flavor, Shadow Swords, typically something that you want to shoot or kill or, or, or combat swing into and kill something, right? Something of your opponents. But if it's a shooting-based unit like a Knight Castellan or a Shadow Sword, if you, the defending player, have a model within one inch of the unit, your opponent can't shoot that, that model. So if you have a Knight Castellan and you have a Priest within one inch of the Knight Castellan, the Knight Castellan won't be able to shoot because he has to treat the priest is an enemy model, so yep. he's technically in combat with him, so the knight would just be like, ah, priest, smash, smash. <laughs> uh, Which is yeah. a lot better There's... than a Castellan shooting into your line. Right, yes. exactly. There's There are often a lot of little quirks to the psychic phase that are specific to individual powers. Uh, unlike the shooting phase, where you have a lot of broadly applicable rules that affect basically all guns in the game equally, uh, the psychic phase is way more variable by the individual power. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and that's why reading every individual psychic power, well, you know, verbatim, word for word, and learning it is yeah. very, very critical. And, right, because good. And it's also it's also very doable because whereas even a, a kind of a mediocre shooting army might have a dozen guns in it, most armies aren't going to have more than like two to five psychic powers total, each of which are maybe a paragraph of text tops. So right. if your opponent says, "I've got these three powers," just go ahead and read them. It won't take that long. While they're yeah. setting up their guys, read what their psychic powers do. Absolutely. Uh, and Ask then, them questions uh, if you don't understand something. Yes. That's yes. always the number one hint is like if your opponent has a thing and you don't know what it is, ask them what it does. They'll they'll either tell you or they won't and you can call a judge and 
then they'll tell you. <laughs> uh, don't, don't let it get to that point. But no. another reason why you should care about the psychic phase is the amount of damage output that the psychic phase can give, right? So if you look at the most lethal armies, I'm just going to point to Eldar very briefly. We're going to talk about them a little bit later in more detail. But Eldar are a really lethal army because they are active in, in every phase of the game. Even they can even damage you in the movement phase potentially. I don't think I don't think other than short of like, you know, you shooting an Eldar unit that like deep struck, and then them soul bursting off. They could potentially even do damage in their movement phase. Is my point. Uh, but you know they're they're lethal in the psychic phase, not only in terms of doing wounds, but they also buff units that make them more lethal. And of course in the shooting and the assault phase, uh, where they're very very good too. Uh, so if you if you're if you don't if you're unaware of what your army's your opponent's army is capable of, um, you could potentially start losing the damage race and and start getting models pulled off the table left and right because you're basically giving your opponent an extra layer of of lethality. Yeah. So, and so you always have to watch out for that. It's also not just Eldar. Like Zinch obviously can do a lot of damage in the psychic phase as well, but so can Grey Knights. So can yep. even just like vanilla Space Marines. Yeah. Um, it turns out Smites are really good power. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, that's another thing we'll probably be looping back around on. But you think D three Mortal Wounds doesn't sound like a lot until people pop it off like two or three or four times and like you know that's eight wounds right there that's a third of a night yeah yeah or or a half of a scout squad or i guess a third of a scout squad on oh, an eight. objective yeah i was gonna say eight eight wounds eight kills is, it. yeah that kills most anything oh in yeah the game, oh eight wounds, more yeah because yeah, like yeah, and even on the low end like two smites that has a pretty good odds of wiping out a scout squad yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and psychic powers, most of the time they're mortal wounds. It's basically the easiest access to mortal wounds any army can get. There are no psychic powers which deal which deal damage that aren't mortal wounds. That is one thing that they have kind of codified in Eighth Edition. Yeah, uh, would... which I do appreciate. There's no more of this like strength six AP one or whatever other nonsense you got with a lot of the older editions. Now it's just like psychic powers do mortal wounds. Yep. It, it... And the best thing about that is it actually makes them the most consistent damage output in the game. Uh, every, you know, in the in shooting, some ways, yeah, yeah. Because the the way the way I, I see it is is in, when you're shooting or when you're swinging at something, you have to hit, and then you mm -hmm. have to wound, and then your opponent gets a save. Whereas when you do yes. mortal wounds, you just make one roll, which is the psychic power roll. Maybe your opponent has another roll of some kind, like a save, but in general, you're or only deny. rolling twice. Yeah, or a deny. Yeah. It's um, typically cast, deny, if applicable, because you don't always get a deny. Right. Um, and then the mortal wounds just go through, and ignoring those layers of defenses is very strong. Yeah, it, it's it's also what makes exploding vehicles very dangerous. Is yeah. uh, If you have a bunch of guys with one or two wounds left and a vehicle explodes next to them, they can just outright die, and you can't mm -hmm. do anything about it. Uh, yeah. So it, it, it's very good for, for getting the last few wounds off on things and for getting consistent damage over time as well. I can happily uh, say I have killed many a knight that's like sitting there like, hi, I got a one wound left. I'm like, turns out granite <laughs> smites are enough. Yeah. One damage <laughs> will do the job. The other thing that uh, psychic powers are very strong for 
is a lot of psychic powers allow you to do stuff that you can't get access to through other phases of the game. Um, shooting just deals damage, assault locks things in and does damage. Psychic powers let you do stuff like apply buffs and debuffs to your units, and that can be really important when you are building to beat a specific army or a specific unit in an army. Uh, for yeah. example, the Castellan is super huge in the meta right now, um, so if you need a way to deal with a Castellan, psychic powers can potentially give you access to tools that can do that. Uh, by the yes. same token, they can give you ways to slow down hordes or do other things. Um, they they give you options that you can't get other ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I would I would even say that they're probably the most easiest, or the, I guess a, they're very easily splashable if you have access to them in your army. For example, if you yes. have a Space Marine army, you can run uh, Tigurius in kind of, in like a oh, yeah. control detachment with two scouts, or even by himself, or maybe with a couple captains in the Supreme Command Detachment. Yep. Um, you don't have to invest heavily, in, and then you'll in, get a lot of mileage out of Tigurius. In most cases, it is literally as simple as you buy a single HQ or elite unit. And that gets you the psychic powers. Right. Um, you yep. don't need to do any other thing special. This isn't like previous editions where you needed to like take a bunch of support guys to make him work. You just take one guy and he does what he does. Yes. It, Me mechanically, it's nice and simple. I like it better than sixth edition because it's all in one phase. Mm -hmm. It's just it's simple. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of that, it's reliable. It's it's you know you've got you most of the time psychers are characters. Very very rarely psychers aren't characters, and yeah. all the best psychers are characters. So you've got that extra layer of defense, yes. uh, and then you get to pick your powers uh, yep. between games. So you, you don't always so get nice. to. Oh yeah, it's great. It, yeah. Uh, so you get to pick your powers, which kind of gives you uh, a level of agency and preparation that. I think sets apart worse players from better players, right? Mm -hmm. Like, do I take treason of Zinch over this or that, etc. Yeah. Yeah. So, and also choosing which powers to use each turn, because it's fairly common for psychers to know more powers than they can cast, and everyone, yep. of course, knows smite. Um, so, being choosing, picking and choosing when you need your buff, when you need to smite, etc., uh, can be a big sort of skill-based way of affecting the game. Right. Yep. Uh, so let's talk about some some quick common 40k tournament meta things that you see in the psychic phase uh, specifically. So I'll start it off. The one thing you, that you see right now in 2018 in October is is you're going to see start seeing more and more of these triple librarian lists. Uh, and then mm -hmm. with the kind of the design and philosophy behind this is you have a Space Wolves Rune Priest, a Dark Angels Librarian, and a Space Marine Librarian who all have access to three different trees, or three different tables. Yes. And the reason why this is important is the Dark Angels and the Space Wolves have access to a power that gives a unit minus one to hit. Or they give it gives the unit uh, their shooting, and I believe, I don't know if it's close combat, I think it's all their attacks it is minus both. one, w yeah. which is a really powerful debuff. Yes. Uh, and when you multiply it times two... Uh, you could cut down even even the most reliable, efficient shooters. You can cut their their efficiency in half easily, right? Yes. Uh, a, a captain will go to a four up instead of a two up. Uh, you know, Castellans go to a five up, which is awful for Castellans, even with all the rerolls they get. Mm -hmm. So, and it's it's a very simple plug. You've you have these three versatile characters. If your opponent doesn't have something 
that uh, some big powerful unit that you can debuff easily. They can also just smite things and, and just be reliable little little smite batteries. They mm-hmm. can go and pick on smaller units on objectives, hiding in corners, uh, or yep. they can take other buffing powers and various things. And and this is the, the strength of psychers in general, and this is why that detachment works. It doesn't just kill a Castellan. It can be customized to do other stuff when you're not killing a Castellan. Yes. Um, but it is very useful in debuffing a single large unit, if that's what you need to do. Uh, they also have access to a ton of other great powers in there, stuff like Null Zone and that kind of thing. Um, Null Zone can and, also get a Castellan killed. <laughs> yes, although it's pretty hard to get that close. Yeah, that's um, true. Also, you're that close to a Castellan. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, th- I think if we're going to go with that, then leading into the various Chaos Psychers is probably a good transition. Oh, yeah, um, there's a lot of them. The, the humble Chaos Sorcerer with a jump pack, that guy's a beast. Mm-hmm. Um, no, their version of Null Zone, Death Hex, which is just 12-inch range, any one unit, remove the invuln, is brutal to so many things. Because, mm-hmm. like, it basically it turns all of your weapons into smites because, hey, no invuln saves. All of your high AP weapons. Uh, yeah, but that's what you typically see when you're shooting at something. Is you know that's if you're true. shooting your Castellan at their Castellan, then they ain't getting no saves. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Chaos has a lot of other really good psychers as well. Uh, anything from the really big boys like Magnus and Mortarian, both of which have some extremely powerful psychic abilities, all the yep. way down to even just like little guys like the uh, Zangor Shaman, um, just. Cast one power, but he does it well, and he has good tables. Um, yeah. Both Zinch Demons and Thousand Sons have access to a whole bunch of really good tables. Most of them can pick from either two or three, uh, which gives them a huge variety of powers, and that's really, really strong. Warp Time, one of the best powers in the game. Prescience, fantastic. Death Hex, great. They have, like, seven different... Uh, attack spells that aren't smite uh most of which can target specific things those are all really good too so uh, as a quick reminder what sean's alluding to here is the character protection rule specifically only works in the shooting phase the psychic phase does enable sniping yeah presuming your power lets you choose targets yes yeah but Um, some powers do something to remember But yes, um, psychic powers will allow you to choose targets, don't care about being a character or not. If it just says choose any unit, you can choose any unit. And one thing about the psychic phase that that you see a lot is is you could build entire lists around it. Um, For example, Magnus and Mortarian, if you watch Justin Curtis's 2018 Nova performance, he he went to the top table with a Magnus and Mortarian list that very much revolved around the psychic phase. Oh, you absolutely. Know, yeah. You needed, yeah, you needed Magnus and Mortarian and their versatility, um, with all their psychic power options to beat a variety of lists. And though he ultimately fell short, uh, I imagine Justin Curtis cast almost every spell in those books at one point in that tournament, um, mm-hmm. with the exception of maybe the worst spells. But on the flip side, you can you can use something like the Demon Prince list, right? With the the Nurgle. Like you 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 run those resilient Nurgle infantry that kind of go into kind of charge into things and tar pit them, and then you've got these powerful demon princes that smite things that are in combat. Because that's another good thing about smite too is you can smite things into in combat. So you could mm-hmm. potentially keep something lock it there in combat with plague bears or some other tough mass unit, um, and then your demon prince just kind of slowly 
through attrition smites that unit while at the same time charging and killing other things you know kind of like on the outskirts of the horde uh and, and that's a very common demon list as well also on a on a different note um if you you can position this very well in the movement phase so you can put your psychers equal distance between two targets and get to choose yeah hmm. yeah uh, that is I mean, something that's i have used ranges. a bajillion yeah. times yeah and and those are things you're going to pick up over time but uh but you definitely want to and Shailen, th- that's a great point is uh when you're when you're measuring ranges because the smite says exactly 18 inches and you have to smite the closest um you always you should always probably communicate intent we say this all the time on this podcast closest uh, visible closest visible yeah also very we, important we don't need to repeat the text of every spell and ability here <laughs> people should uh, probably read what smite does for itself yes um, but that that is something to re- to remember since smite is the power everyone gets to know it does have right. that restriction of visible so if you've got nurglings hiding behind a building well uh, my nearest visible target is not those nurglings because I can't see them mm-hmm. so and then one final common thing that you will see uh, that we've yet to talk about in competitive 40k I think this has been this has been true across all the editions I've played and that's uh, buffing or kind of like Voltron style buffing uh, with armies. Like, like think of like the classic seventh edition Death Star. This this big unit being buffed by all these these helpful psychers. The psychers aren't really doing anything else but buffing. Um, that's always something that you're gonna see. And the reason for that is because buffs help those big point units uh, more efficiently because those units are already really powerful. Go ahead, John. Yeah, I don't think you see a ton of that anymore. The only place it really shows up is in like the Bash Brothers Morty and Magnus list. I was thinking Bulgrin Inari. too. Uh, Inari uh, with like 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 uh, Matt Chuckman's Warlock it, Council. Warlock, yeah, the Shining Spear. Okay, bombs. but the the Shining Spear <laughs> bomb is not relying on a series of buffs to do what it needs. It's mostly relying on debuffing the enemy and abusing the soul burst mechanic. It's kind of the same That's thing. True. It's, I mean, Doom is not a buff spell. <gasps> That's true. the 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 point is, is that uh, you, you know, this is this isn't just exclusive to the psychic phase. Just think of the Knight Castellan and all of the buffs it takes, and how mu- yeah. how point how much points investment you need to make it work. Um, but it's always kind of something that that people are kind of kind of gravitate towards. Uh, and I I see that very common in forty k. And psychic phase is something you can do. So if you really want to build uh your your forty k competitive 40k list around a hard-hitting hammer unit and you have access to psychic buffs that unit's probably the better option to give the buffs to than say a unit of nurglings the the better the unit the the more the buff affects it generally speaking and and Uh, you will see that in some degree uh across 40k as long as psychic buffing is a thing Sure, it, buff, buffs are best cast on your best units, um, but you don't typically see the you know one unit that is your entire army through psychic buffs anymore. Not anymore. That's a seventh edition thing. Yes, <laughs> that was, and that was awful. Actually, yep. actually, that was barely a seventh edition thing because remember you had the Bark Stars and then a Battle Company. Yeah. So you, <laughs> anyway, so we're not going to get into that. That was that's in the past. Thank God. Thankfully. <laughs> um, so do we want to talk about uh, kind of the general practices of the psychic phase and yeah. ways to go about either manipulating or trying to fight a psychic phase? Yeah, so so if you do choose to decide 
that you want to participate in the psychic phase and you want to bring your psychers, uh, there are some kind of tips and tricks and rules uh, that, that you could probably use to your advantage to make your psychic game better. Uh, and, and one of the ones I wrote down was redundancy. Uh, if you have one librarian who who has this particular power that you want, uh, you might want to consider taking a second librarian. Uh, and that's because psychic powers are can be also a little volatile uh, between perilsing and and failing. Uh, that's why that that triple librarian, you know, kind of tech meta tech that I talked about earlier, why it's so good is because if your rune priest dies or fails to give the minus one to hit, you still also have the dark angels librarian who can give minus one to hit, and then all three of them can smite. So you kind of have that extra layer of redundancy, uh, and hitting more personally. In my lists, my my Blood Angels guard and sisters lists, I have a prime. I have usually have two or three primary psychers instead of just one, because usually my primary psychers end up dying, and I'm like, oh well, <laughs> if only I had a second or a third one, you know. It really yeah. does depend on your army, but in general, redundancy is something I I, I like to see in good psychic army lists. Redundancy is always good in every Larmy list in every phase of the game. Um, my my personal philosophy, and this kind of stems from an old guard player saying, is take three of anything because one's going to die, one's going to fail, and the third one will get what you need. Um, and that's just as true of the psychic phase as anything. Yep. But the the caveat there is just because you have three copies of a spell in your list doesn't mean you can use all of them. You can only cast each spell once per phase. Even if yep. you fail it, you've already tried casting it. So there is a much more distinct limit to the usefulness of redundancy in a list. Now, that said, you probably still want some of it if that redundant power is sufficiently important to your army. If you are playing the Bash Brothers list, you really want to have that plus one invuln power for Magnus. You don't ever want that not to be available to you. So you need more than one of that power distributed across your psychers. But if you're playing an Imperial Guard list and you just have that plus one to save power because it's the best power that you can pick and you don't really have any particular need for it, then you might not need that redundancy. It doesn't matter if you lose that power. It's not going to change your game. But they're so cheap. Give them to guardsmen. Yes, <laughs> but everything the guard gets is so cheap. So that's, that's not really true. an argument in favor of the psyker. It's like he's one of the most expensive HQs they have. At that's actually very points. true. <laughs> um, there you go. <laughs> so yeah, I think the the redundancy angle should you should look at it in terms of how important is this power to what your army does. Is this a power you want to have go off every turn? Is this a power that is going to change the matchup against any given army? Because a lot of times plus one to your save from that guard won't, but it might if you have like a unit of ten crusaders, and you always want these crusaders to have that plus one save, then maybe you take two psychers in case one dies. That's a fair point. Yeah. Um, another thing to consider here is... Um, on the note of like powers and such is uh you know a, a thing you got a philosophy you gotta just handle is it doesn't always work yes um so you need to go into your psychic phase knowing you might just roll three down on all of your dice as a gray knight player and get nothing to work i've had yeah. that happen to me that is a that is a super common thing, and it's much more common than in the shooting and assault phases, because in the psychic phase, you're not rolling very many dice, which means your variability is a lot higher. 
it, both as Shaywin's Grey Knights and as my Eldar and as Zinch players, there are psychic phases where you literally don't cast a single power successfully. It happens. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, and and I... you have to be ready to deal with that. If your game ends because you passed no psychic powers, your list is going to be in trouble. And, yeah. and I would I would say we're I, I would actually like to circle back to that later on, um, because for those of you who do not have psychic power armies, that's something you want to look forward to look forward to. And yeah, in my experience, we're, we're definitely going to touch on that one again when it comes back to defending against the psychic phase. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And in my experience, you're you, especially for Eldar for some reason, I'm mm -hmm. usually good for like one failed turn where you're just like, nope, oh, yeah. nothing. nothing um, the Eldar powers are all very high casting. Uh, they're all like sevens and eights, so it's extremely likely, even with rerolls, that they're going to have at least one turn of the game where they just don't get powers off. Okay, uh, let's talk about casting modifiers because this is something Ooh, I unfortunately yeah. do not have as much experience in the psychic phase as you two. I know a lot about this. <laughs> so, so go ahead and take it away, Shaylin. Um, so the most common casting modifiers are uh, is you've got a named character who has some sort of inherent bonus, Aramon, Magnus. Um, literally anybody Tenurius out of the Grey Knights book. Does, does uh, he? he? He does not, sadly. Oh, okay. I was. Uh, I, I know there's some Space Marine character. Yeah, Yvrain gets one. There's there's a reasonable number, not a lot, but a few of them who get a plus one, or in rare cases, plus two. Oh, yes, Najal is who I was thinking of. Yes. Um, um, yeah, there's a, there's a handful of them. So th those are kind of like the common ways they happen is the Grey Knight chapter tactic is plus one to all casts and denies. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a, several named characters that get access to it. And then the other, like, there are two very common debuffs. One is the Tyranids. Um, Shadow in the Warp. Shadow in the Warp is minus one. And then we've also got, like, the Calexus Assassin is the other common one you see. Yeah, which he is gives why... a minus two to anyone in range. Which is why um, a Custode's army really benefits from having that is because they need that extra little psychic defense. Yeah. Um, aside from just sort of like, because like, yeah, plus one, minus one, I think a lot something a lot of people underestimate, and I know Shaylin has seen this on the table. Oh, uh, yeah. They underestimate just how big even a plus one, because plus one doesn't feel like a lot, but it's actually pretty big when it comes to casting spells. Yeah, um, especially considering that most things on the Grey Knight table are fives or sixes. So that means I need four or higher on the dice for smite, yeah. for most of my, for half of my powers, and mm -hmm. then I need a five or higher for the other section of my powers. Yeah. They're yeah. very reliable. Yeah, yeah, a four or higher on the dice is a pretty strong chance. And yeah. it's not just that, it's, in in a lot of cases, most of those psychers are also adding to the bonus to their deny rolls, which really ups the chance they'll successfully deny things. And yes. more than either of those, and this is the one where it really tilts the odds, those bonuses apply to smite and other powers that care about what casting value you get on them. So rather than needing an 11 or higher on the dice if you got that plus one. Now you only need a 10 or higher on the dice if you're getting plus one to cast. And now maybe you're even only needing a 9 or higher if you are got that big old plus two. That yeah. really ups the odds you get that d6 smite. That yeah. is way more than doubling it. And, you know, an 11 or higher is 1 in 12. A 9 or higher is 1 in 6. Yeah, and a seven, which is your average, 
Um, yeah. Seven is the most common die roll you'll get uh, on two dice. Goes up mm-hmm. to an eight, which is which means you're on fifty percent of the time rolling eights, yep. or better. Yeah, which is really good. It, it most works powers out cost... that uh, plus one on your casting value is something like a fifteen to twenty percent chance higher. And if you're doing it in an opposed roll-off, for example, if your opponent has a deny, um, it it tilts your odds by about 30% in your favor overall. Jeez. Yeah. That's really it's huge. Um, this is why, as as Sean has noticed, sometimes the Grey Nets are like, so Eldar, do you want to not have a psychic phase this entire game? Because that's going to happen now. Yes. Uh, um, and we should Grey Nets probably... is kind of the big army for denials. Yeah, I think we should really. actually talk about denials here because that's something a lot of people don't really think about a lot um yeah most uh, psychers I... don't have a lot of denials they typically have more casts than denies which means you are not going to get to deny every power yes uh which means uh even in an gr- army like Rainice that has high psychic defense you need to be prioritizing where you're putting your denials Yes, absolutely. That's the number one mistake I see, is people attempting to deny powers. They have no real chance of shutting down. Like, if your opponent passes a power on 11, don't even bother. Like, you might get it, but unless they have literally nothing else to to cast, just don't bother. Save it for a better spell. And if they pass on, like, a 9 or a 10, yeah, maybe hold that off for one of their later spells, because they might pass something on a 5, and you can turn that off, but you're not going to turn off that 10. Uh yeah. Another common mistake I see people make with that is actually kind of the opposite. Uh, if you have a, a like a psyker who who's his only the only person he has in deny range is is some is like Eldrad and Eldrad mm-hmm. just rolled his last power on eleven. Like just mm-hmm. go for it anyways. Don't forget yes. to cast it. There's no you know? reason not to if you have nothing else to do. Right, and if yes. you have multiple psychers, it, it's always important to kind of mentally measure out all the rangers, their all their ranges. And see where there where there's overlaps. If you have oh, yeah. a psychic, if you have three psychers and two, three of them are on one of your opponent's psychers, but one of them on the edge is only on one psyker, you know, kind of leave him for the first deny. Yeah, y- you, you know. use that guy on the only guy he can deny right. against. Don't waste him on one of the others. Yes, yeah. uh, pre-measuring the... is good. Yes, and actually the, the the other counterpoint on that is when you are casting powers and when you are moving your guys, because, you know, it's movement and then psychic, know where your enemy's psychers are, and don't put them in range to deny if you don't have to. Yeah. Um, because psychers are characters, as we mentioned earlier, they like to hide behind other units so they don't get targeted. That means they are behind those units, which means you can be in range of those units when they're not in range of denying, typically. So yeah. if you don't have to put yourself in range to get denied, don't. There's no reason to. Just move your guy backward. Yeah, and, and another thing, too, to add on to that is if you have, a like, an 18-inch cast range and you're buffing a unit or debuffing a unit, um, you don't have to necessarily get closer to the unit to to uh, range or maybe even a lot of in a lot of psychic powers cases, you don't even have to necessarily see the unit that you're targeting, right? So, yeah. so you know, That's... you can always... Go ahead, Sean. Oh, I was going to say, uh, that's actually a, a very good rule of thumb that I have learned from reading powers. Almost all attack powers, anything that does mortal wounds, requires line of sight. That's pretty standard. Most debuff and buff powers do not require line of sight. That isn't universal, but it is true across most books. 
Um, so you can often hide your psychers who are just buffing and debuffing, and they don't even need line of sight to their target. They just have to be within range. Yes. Uh, another thing to remember is you don't need to see something to be able to deny it. That is something I see people yes. get confused Denial about. Denial never requires basis. line of sight. Um, yeah. And get grumpy at me when I am like, well, I don't need to see you to shut you down. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so l- let's talk about order of casting because I feel like I feel like there's yes. there's some there's kind of a there's kind of a neat segue here and and that's if if you're if your casting order is there's a ton of different ways like you should do your casting order like uh I know Eldar have like a a billion powers so I imagine yeah. their casting orders are crazy but in general as I as I kind of understand it is sort it, of <laughs> I, the way casting order works is. It's pretty fixed within a game. Um, (laughs) I would actually argue that isn't always true. There are a couple strategies to your casting order depending on what you need to do and what powers you have available. Um, Because I think the things I always take into consideration... No, no, I just meant within within the game because you have the same set of powers within a game. But what your priority on those powers may change from turn to turn. Gate of Infinity on turn one is very different from Gate of Infinity on turn five. So, so, uh, but it, it's I'm going to throw out a couple of the rules of thumb I use, and I know Shay Lin has a, a few as well, uh, <laughs> okay. and I'm sure Pablo will have a question or two. Um, so the things I always consider is a who's in deny range and who isn't, um, because you can often bait denies. So if you can get someone to use a deny on a power that is less important, you may be able to get them to waste it early on. Um, the flip side of that being uh, your rerolls that you have available, both the command reroll and any rerolls from other abilities. Um, if you have a very important power, you should probably cast that earlier rather than later so that you know whether you need to use your rerolls on it. Uh, I have seen several players kind of screw themselves out of a psychic power because they use a reroll to avoid perils or something else on a random psyker early on, and then they cast their super important power and they can't reroll anymore, and it's like, yeah, you probably would have accepted D3 wounds on that guy in order to make this power cast successfully. Um, so those are both really important things in terms of like deciding when to cast which power. Yeah. Um, also, uh, notably, when to just accept a deny in the face yep. is is another stratagem. Uh, I mean, Grey Knights, most of their psychers are just their infantry squads, so it's like if they perils, they just get to perils unless I really need them alive. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you do just have to take that perils, and like, it sucks. No one likes taking those mortal wounds, but it almost never kills you in the first go. Because you're, you're yeah. a character. No one can target you or do anything. And psychers like to hang in the background because they're support characters. So a lot of games, just taking D3 mortal wounds, it doesn't matter at all. You weren't going to take any wounds the rest of the game anyways. So let me yeah. pose a scenario to you, too. Uh, sure. Let's say you have a psyker who, who's very important, like an Eldrad. Mm-hmm. Or even more, like a Magnus. And he's got few wounds left. Uh, and you're worried about that perils, but you need that critical to get that critical power off that only that psyker knows. Where does he go generally in your casting order? So, um, in this particular circumstance, uh, I've got... This power is probably cast 7 or higher, because a lot of the really good powers are at least cast 7, is an observation. Mm, That varies a lot. It, It does vary a lot, but that's my rule of thumb, is like, 
really strong powers are usually higher casting because they have strong effects. So they yes, although very few powers are higher than seven. That is fairly rare. Six and seven is where most powers live. Yeah, I, I, but as I'm just saying, as a rule of thumb, if it's sure. charge seven, it's probably good. Yeah. Um. So considering that warp charge seven is obviously a little harder to get off, you will want to have a reroll available for that guy in that order. Um, the other, the question of when I would do that is ultimately based on if my where my opponent's denials are and such. Yeah, um, and what other powers I can be threatening him with. Exactly. Uh, because you need to, because a psych, a huge part of the psychic phase is baiting your opponent into making uh, mistakes or less optimized choices. Is actually yeah, an observation it's, I've had. It's a, it's a and, big mind game. Yeah, you know, and you can't count on your opponent necessarily doing that, but you can present them situations where they have to make one of two bad choices. Yes. And that is typically what I would look at. So, Pablo, I think to your example, I would look at, you know, is Magnus my only psyker left on the table? Because if he is, then obviously I'm going to start doing, I'm going to lead with his strong powers. Um, do the other powers I have to cast change the way this turn happens? If my opponent has a knight with one wound left and I have a guy with smite right next to him, I'll pop off that smite right away uh, because I may be able to draw out any kind of psychic defense that the enemy has because they have to stop that power or they lose their knight. And it's not even always something that big. It may be they lose a scout squad or an objective or the last wound off some smaller vehicle or whatever it is. Um, but if I have these threatening powers that are going to change the outcome of the turn by themselves, that can often force my opponent to deal with them rather than stopping the big spell that I want to go off. Hmm. Um and so sometimes your option is to whole hog into it because you don't have a choice. Sometimes. Um, I, I will sometimes just lead with my biggest, most important power. Um, because I know that I'm going to be blowing through a reroll and using any other bonuses I can to pump that up to full strength. And my hope is just that my opponent doesn't have something that can stop that. And sometimes that's the only thing you can do. Here, here's a sneaky thing that I had someone do to me a long time ago. Um... Uh, they rolled a smite and then rolled d6, or they they rolled an 11 and got d6 mortal wounds off on one of my units. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the, afterwards they asked me, oh, I'm sorry, did you want to deny? And I was like, oh, yeah. And I denied, and it was an Eldar <laughs> player. I, was my, I remember it was a good friend of mine. Um, and then afterwards he cast Doom on my Smash Captain and right. killed him with Guardians. And I was like, oh, because I could have yeah. denied it with Mephiston. So it... I, I know it's kind of sneaky, and a little cheeky, but it's technically not against the rules. But you guys, do you guys ever do stuff like that? Um, I will usually <laughs> at, I, I will usually ask my opponent if they would like to deny. That is good practice. Um, it's a because, courtesy. Yeah, it's just like I cast it on eleven. Are you going to deny? Um, that gives them that very yes or no chance, so they can't be like, okay, I cast on eleven. Okay, now I can't ignoring the thing. It's like, whoa, 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 hold on. I had options here. Um, <laughs> That said, like, that's, I think that's a pretty classic case of offering your opponent a bad option. Um, mm -hmm. You shouldn't expect them to take it, but if they do, great. 
Um, it works on bad opponents, bad players, or just people who aren't thinking about it or that sort of thing. But bad yes, and Pablo. If you if you get to round six undefeated in a tournament, your prob- opponent is probably not going to walk into a, a denying on eleven like that. Um, <laughs> but it, like offering people that chance to deny, I think is just a courtesy thing. Um, it's it like it's it's one of these like when you tell people like you have three saves at minus one, you don't have to tell them that they're at minus one. They should know because you just said what the weapon stat line is. But it's nice to remind them. Yeah. Yes. Or, uh, or hey, you have a minus one to hit before you roll the dice. Because one thing I hate is re-rolling yeah. dice when people it's, don't tell me that. Right. It's 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 a courtesy thing, and I think for the psychic phase, offering that, you know, would you like to deny? No. Okay, I'm continuing with resolving the spell. Um, yeah. That that helps a lot. Okay. So de- uh, degrading. You can and... also ask your opponent, uh, depending on what kind of opponent they are, if uh, what. Um, I've had opponents ask me, it's like, I don't really know the psychic phase, and I'm like, well, okay. And then they'd be like, so should I try denying this thing? And I'm like, well, here's what this power is doing. And just give them an informed decision. Right. I don't that, tell them whether or not they should. That sort of gets into the whole, like, duty to that's... inform your opponent and all that sort of thing. I think that's a whole different issue to deal with. Yeah, I think I think in a tournament setting, uh, I don't. I think maybe necessarily, probably not okay to an extent, uh, though if you are actively trying to hide what your intentions are uh, and your opponent is asking you yeah. questions, like like if your opponent's like, hey, do you have any psychic powers that can kill this guy? And you're like, not on this sorcerer. And they're like, but what do, do you have any, you know, and then there's a back yeah. and forth. Well, there's a huge difference between offering information and concealing information. Right. Yes. Don't conceal, offer. Right. Um, <laughs> you don't have a on. duty to offer all information about your army, but you do have a duty not to conceal information about your army. If they ask yes. you, what pi- psychic powers do you have that can deal mortal wounds, you need to tell them. But you don't have to say, by the way, I have this power that deals mortal wounds that could kill your guy at one wound left there. Yeah. Like, that's on them to remember that you told them that earlier. Yeah, and on yes. the flip side, if you... Ask if you ask frequent questions, you won't ever have to worry about gotcha moments. If you, yes. in, unless your opponent is actively concealing, then your opponent is is in a well, lot of in, in, yes. a lot of people cheating. Now, now but, your opponent is cheating, yeah, um, so, so you don't got to worry about that. You're you're in the clear. Uh, so so let's go and move on to the the final uh, kind of topic of common psychic phase practices, and that's degrading and non degrading smites. Uh, so nice. post post FAQ, uh, GW changed the smite rule so that uh, when after the first smite is cast, the next smite costs plus one more yep, to to cast. It goes up to warp charge six, then seven, and it keeps on escalating up. I call it the smite clicker because it clicks <laughs> up every time. Mm-hmm. So so for, first off, uh, I I would like to say that um, I'd actually like to jump up my soapbox here and say that GW didn't necessarily fix smites. Uh, smite spam is still a thing, and it's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at you, Zinch Demon Princes. But it's, it's still something that you have to. Thousand Suns. Oh, sorry, Thousand Suns. There's actually a difference both. there. Um, but yes, um, yeah, there are a small handful of armies that get to ignore the smite clicker. Two. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> anything with the Brotherhood of Sorcerers rule, which is to say, all Zinch casters from the Thousand Suns army, uh, mm-hmm. and. 
anything with the Brotherhood of Psychers rule, which is all of the Grey Knight casters from their army. Yes. Um, those do those both ignore the increases to smite casts. Um, their casts of smite still increase other people's casting value, but they get to ignore the bone the penalty for their own smites. Oh, I didn't know that. So if you're a Grey yeah, Knight so if you have player... like. Yeah, well, if ahead. you have, like, a Nurgle Demon Prince and three Zinch ones, you always cast with the Nurgle guy first and then the Zinch ones. Because oh, if you I cast no with idea. a three Zinch first, then the Nurgle guy is going to be casting on an eight. He's like, dude, yep. you guys are messing up my vibes. Yep. That's yep. absolutely uh, how it works. And that, that was something I learned the hard way when I was running Mephiston with my Granites earlier. I no yeah. longer run Mephiston, so I no longer have this problem. <laughs> but it is, when we were talking earlier about order of casting, that's another relevant consideration, is yeah. um, something I'll run into is I will often cast smites with my weaker casters first, the ones who don't have built-in rerolls or bonuses, and then I'll follow up with uh, a smite off a stronger caster later, because I know he has a better chance of getting off that 6 or 7 or 8. Like, again, like, Arabon having the plus one, he might wait in the smite order. Well, well yeah, he doesn't but... care because he doesn't get degrading, but yes. Yeah, but y- you know um, what I mean. <laughs> yeah, it's, and smite degrading, like, a lot of people kind of poo-poo it. It's actually pretty big. Um yeah. If you look at the math on, like, getting a five on 2d6 versus a six or a seven or an eight, it's it changes real, real quick. Um, yeah. And for those of you who were not playing a lot earlier in the edition and don't remember getting hit with 12 or 18 smites in a turn, Malific it is words. a big difference. Yeah. Salty Shay. Um, yes. Um, I had the Psychic Defense Army and I thought it was dumb. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, um, be aware of smite and, you know, the degrading and non-degrading versions of it and how those are different. Um Smite is kind of the default power that you see everywhere. It's always going to be lurking there in the background, and you've always got to be ready to deal with it against a psychic army. So, um, uh, on the note of non-degrading smites, uh, for when you rarely see a great out player, probably myself, if you're not playing with demon keyword, it's just one mortal wound, don't worry about it. If you are playing with demon keyword, pay a lot of attention. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, Yeah, and that's another thing you kind of want to look at too is is a lot of armies will will try and bait you out with smite rolls but then they'll be hiding like these powerful you know targeting any unit instead of just the closest visible unit smite mm-hmm. equivalent powers and and so they can kind of see how their smites play out and then from there they can use these powerful or these these smite equivalent powers to to pick on the weakened units that got smited um because maybe you tried to deny their smites or something i don't know mm-hmm. uh, but yes. Yeah, there's a lot of options, even with Smite getting nerfed, that a lot of armies get. Uh, It's just now armies use those options instead of just using Smite. Yes. Which I think is better for the game. I agree. Yeah, it's certainly an improvement. All right, so I want to talk about uh, one specific faction. Uh, You you know, they're, they're, I think, in my opinion, they're the most powerful psychic phase using faction, uh, though... Uh, Sean is an Eldar player, so he can agree, or he'll probably disagree with me. Um, I think it depends on how you look at it. Eldar, I believe, have the strongest spells in the game, which we'll talk about some of them in a moment here. Um, their spells are almost certainly the best around. Their generic casters 
probably beat out any other generic caster from any other faction. That said, Thousand Suns arguably have a stronger psychic gain, uh, just due to the sheer number of casts they can get and the number of smites they can get. A Thousand okay. Suns army is more reliant on its psychic game than an Eldar is, because the Eldar psychic game is really basically just about buffing their other units. Without those units to buff, their psychic game isn't that scary. No. Okay, so Sean, as a as a non-Eldar player, mm -hmm. uh, usually when I'm up and out against an Eldar opponent, they go into their psychic phase and they cast the typical oh, Santo Iniadio Vespo or something, you mm -hmm. know, whatever Eldar do. They wave their hands around and then my units start dying. And, and I yes. kind of just like, like, just let it happen. Um, so, uh, as a non-Eldar player to an Eldar player, what what's going on? What's happening? Um, well, really, it, the, there's if you're talking about Eldar, we're we're talking about Craft World Eldar here mostly. Harlequins also have some strong powers, but not really on par with the Craft Worlds. Dark Eldar don't have any powers at all. You don't have to go worry about them. Um, <laughs> And we are going to kind of count Yanari as craft worlds here because they pretty much always are. Um, yep. You very rarely see Yanari armies that aren't craft worlds. So I'm going to kind of roll them in there. They have essentially two tables, which is better than most people. Each of their types of casters only gets access to one of those tables. So the Farseer only gets Runes of Fate. Runes of Fate is almost entirely buffs and debuffs. The Runes of Battle is what your Warlocks and Spirit Seers, as well as your Hemlock Wraith Fighters, get. It's kind of the technically supposed to be the lesser spells, but actually also really strong. Um, all of those are the two-part powers that have a buff and a debuff that kind of work in opposite ways. Um yes. So, you, first thing you should probably understand is what kind of caster am I dealing with? Is this a Farseer, or is this something else? Um, if it's a Farseer, you have a couple spells which are always top of the list. Number one is, I think, hands down, the strongest spell in the ga game, Doom. Mm -hmm. Casts on a 7, targets an enemy unit within 24, and everything that shoots at that unit, or assaults it, gets to re-roll failed wounds. And the unit doesn't have to be visible. Doesn't have to be that's, visible. That's just the craziest thing about that one. 24 inches, no line of sight. That 24 inches is a really long range on a psychic power, by the way. Yeah. For those of you who are not familiar with psychic powers, most of them are 18. Some of them are only 12. 24 12 is really long. Um, you don't see any powers with ranges above 24. So... I mean, just that by itself is great. Rerolling wounds is super powerful in an addition where anything can wound anything. That means your las guns can bring down that knight, or all those Eldar shuriken weapons that get the rending effect on the sixes. Those suddenly get a lot scarier. Um, but just rerolling wounds in general is a very strong ability. That's why Gilman is so good, is because he lets you reroll wounds. It's not the reroll hits part that everyone is taking him for. Um, so the ability to do that, and the fact that it is a debuff that you put on an enemy unit, so anything that attacks that. If you have four different units that shoot at that one target, every single one of them get to reroll their failed wounds. Including non Doom is super strong. Yeah. Um, 
Other than that, they have a couple other powers you should probably watch out for. Uh, Executioner is another big favorite. It casts on a 7. It's an 18-inch range. It's a smite that if it kills any models, smites into that same unit again. Um, yep. And it almost always kills at least one model because it does mortal wounds. So typically Executioner is killing, is doing 2d3 mortal wounds to a unit. And that's a very strong. Like, that's two smites rolled into one. Smite is a great power. It does a lot of damage. That's, again, this is like a thing that can wipe out a squad by itself. And yep. as being your backup power on a caster you are taking anyways, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what about guide? Guide guide just gives them plus one to hit now. Uh, no guide. So none of the Eldar Farseer powers are pluses or minuses. They're oh, all rerolls. Okay. Right. These are, um, these are different so terms. guide is just rerolls to hit with shooting. Uh, depending on what the enemy, what the Eldar players bringing, that can maybe they'll bring it, maybe they don't. It's it depends a lot more on the individual list, uh, but it is relatively common. Uh, also seen in that same thing is fortune, which is a five up feel no pain effect. Um, also very common for shining spears and similar units, but not universal. It kind of depends on whether they have an appropriate target for it. Um, there are a couple other powers on that list. Uh, Mind War is a great character assassinator, and uh, Will of Asurian is a useful way to get some psychic defense and morale, but you don't see those powers as often just because there's so many other good powers to take on the Farseer. Yeah. And, and speaking of uh, Fortune real quick, I, I believe Fortune, uh, Sean Naden made Fortune really, really famous uh, when he was taking those big Guardian blobs, giving yes. up for a Binvul and then casting Fortune on him. Then you and then you doom something obviously so essentially yes. you had a guardian blob that would deep strike down have a four up invuln so exactly half of the damage you dealt to it was was reduced if you mm-hmm. rolled average dice five up feeling the pain and then on top of all that they were rerolling to wounds against in in against things yep and so often really nasty often minus one to hit as well from the ally oh, talk yeah. bonus or you can give them another minus one from conceal or you can give them plus one to all saves including that four up invuln and suddenly it's basic troops rocking three up invuln five up feel no pain eldar are very good at buffing units to become very scary regardless of how good those units were to start with yeah. yep. um, now now let's talk about another power uh let's talk about word of the phoenix This is off of Yvrain. Technically, also, the Incarnate can cast it as well, although you don't see it as often. Um, It has been weakened a little bit. It's now an 8 to cast, rather than the, like, 6 it was before. It was ridiculous. Um, And you target a unit with an 18, it gives them a Soul Burst. Real simple. But Soul Burst is super powerful. Um... And the flexibility you get out of it is, you know, that can either give you a movement or a shooting action or a combat action. Technically, it can allow you to charge and other stuff as well. Um, but just the ability to hand out a soul burst to a unit, regardless of whether anything has died near it, is very, very strong. Um, yes, you typically see this being cast onto some Dark Reapers so they can get a second round of shots. Yep. Yeah. T- to give you kind of an example... Uh, Mephiston has, uh, or actually Blood Angels, have access to a power that lets them move again. Move, They move 12 inches, and then Psyker that casts it gets the fly keyword. So like, mm-hmm. they get a free 12-inch movement. Um, but that's just yep. one power that they get. That's it. It's, they don't get anything it is else. A power it also makes that... their movement 12 inches. So yes. they can well, move 24 yes. and turn uh, this way. But I think, I think Pablo's point there was that this Blood Angels power affects only the Psyker 
and gives them a movement and no other options, whereas Word of the Phoenix can affect any Yanari unit within range and not only lets them potentially move, but also lets them take any other action they normally could. Right, and to be fair... Uh, Angel or uh, a Wings of Sanguinis, which is the power I was refer- referencing, does also give them some extra bonuses beyond just moving. Like, I I get that, guys. So before you Blood Angel players start hounding me in the comment section, but the reason why Word of the Phoenix is is so much more powerful is because of how versatile it is. Right. Yes. So maybe a Codex maybe has one of those abilities: the ability to shoot again, or oh, actually, I don't think any powers let you shoot again. Nope. That'd be the really Eldar, broken. there are many powers that let you move again. Word of the Phoenix is the only one that lets you take a shooting shoot again action. Right. Uh, yeah. There is one spell that lets you take a combat action again, but I don't think I've ever seen it successfully used. I yeah. have seen it successfully cast. Uh, Slanesh has one. Yes, I know. Uh, just I've never <laughs> seen it work out because no one ever stays in combat with you. Well, no one takes Slanesh, so we. There's I... people who do, but yeah, it's rare. I, I've um, seen it happen once. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> um. The the other Eldar table that we have not talked about yet is the Runes of Battle, and yes. this is nominally the weaker of the two tables, but it is still full of really powerful spells. Oh, um, yeah. All of these are double spells. They either get, they have a bonus for an Eldar unit that has to be Jetbike or Infantry, or a debuff for any enemy unit, and they're pretty much all mirrored across. So uh, the most common one you see is Protect and Jinx. Um, either plus one to all saves for an Eldar unit or minus one to all saves for an enemy unit. Um, those are amazingly strong because it affects all saves. There's lots of ways to give invulns to your Eldar units and debuffing an enemy's armor and invuln save is really, really What's strong. What's the range on Jinx? 18. Uh, so, and I'm assuming you don't need line of sight. Nope, because it is yeah. a buff power or a debuff in this particular case. Um, that can also potentially be pumped out to 36 inches if you have a Warlock Conclave, uh, which yep. is one of the shenanigans you'll occasionally see, is if you're casting from 36 away, they are almost certainly not going to be able to deny you. Okay. Uh, is there anything else that people, any other powers or powerful combinations people need to know about, Sean? The other, you'll see Jinx and Doom combined a lot, because you cast Jinx and Doom on one unit, and that unit is so dead. It doesn't matter what shoots at it, it's going to go down. Um, But the other power that a lot of people uh, will see and can do really powerful things are Quicken Restrain. Uh, Again, 18 inches, cast on a 7. Quicken gives the unit a free movement action. Everyone should probably be familiar with those kind of powers, warp time and the like, but with the very fast Eldar units out there, that is extremely strong. Um, Restrain is the one that a lot fewer people know about, but it is actually one of my favorite spells. It halves a unit's movement value. Oh, that's so good. It's that's very good. I put it on one of my hemlocks a lot of the time, and then I'll use it to slow down a knight or Celestine or a smash captain or something like that. Um, to ensure that they don't get into combat that turn. Uh, because having a movement value on one of those fast units is a lot of inches, and it turns that, like, oh, I got, like, a three-inch charge. It's like, oh, well, now I need, like, a ten-inch charge. Um, (laughs) so be on the lookout for Restrain, because it is sort of the flip side of that, like, what we said earlier, where the bigger a unit you, you buff up, the more effective the buff spell is. That works in reverse, too. If you're turning that Knight Gallant into its, like, 6-inch or 4-inch or 2-inch movements, 
it's not doing anything. Nope. Yeah. And and so okay, so so I have a question for you, Sean. Yes. Uh Quicken can can a, a unit have Quicken and Word of the Phoenix cast on it to it potentially sure move twice? Can. So if, so <laughs> if you really need to get those shining spears across the table, you pop off the stratagem that lets them advance and charge, and then you move, and then you quicken, and then you word of the phoenix, and you just went 66 inches. Yeah, well, I, I was thinking maybe a psyker could, like, quicken themselves so that they're closer to a unit that, that like a Castellan, that mm-hmm. their opponent maybe ne- not necessarily hadn't. Like, oh, yes. like, oh, this Castellan's safe out of range. You could quicken into range or into line of sight, uh, debuff the Castellan, and then word of Phoenix the unit so that they go back uh, yep. outside of range and also safely in cover. Yes, that was that's... something I used to do. That's and and that's a really important thing to remember about quicken and the movement action on Word of the Phoenix. You don't have to use them to get closer to the enemy. Um, Many times Eldar players will be very cagey and move up, shoot you, and then move away. Yeah, or or, I don't know if they can still get in vehicles when they do that. I believe they can, um, specifically because it says move as though it is the movement phase and you are only allowed to embark on a vehicle in the movement phase. Um, so I think you can, although don't hold my feet to the fire on that yeah, one. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like that made up, might have gotten FAQ'd or changed, but, you know. Uh, there was not. a weird FAQ with it uh, regarding consolidation moves and fade yeah. fire and some of the other abilities, but it didn't actually cover the move in the, as though it were the movement phase abilities. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and so, okay, so, so Sean, you, you obviously do not go undefeated with Eldar all the yeah, time. It's certainly not. Uh, so... So how how do people how are, what are some of the most interesting ways people have you've seen people counter Eldar psychic phases specifically, um, and then just kind of in general how how do you beat this? Um, so the easiest way you beat it is you let it beat itself uh, because these powers are almost all casting six or higher or seven or higher. Um, Doom, Jinx, Executioner, Word of the Phoenix, those are all very high casting. And Eldar have lots of re-rolls and stuff, but as anyone who's re-rolled a 1 on a die knows, that just means you get a 1 the second time as well. Um, (laughs) It is very easy to fail these powers, even with all of the bonuses. And Eldar are very dependent on getting these powers off. If you don't have Doom on you, a lot of the Eldar shooting looks a lot less scary. So, there is just that chance that the Eldar player will fail these powers on a critical turn, and that happens. So, be ready to take advantage of that. Um, Also, know which powers are going to be most important to you. Um, If your opponent has Doom and Jinx ready for you, and you only have one Psyker to deny one of them, watch when they roll. So, if they get an 11 on the Jinx, just let it go. You'll try and shut down the Doom. Um, but if they get a seven on that jinx, maybe you're, maybe you're turning it off. Um, by the same token, know which of those two powers hurts you more. If all you have is a five up invuln and they jinx you, that's not really going to change the math all that much, but the doom probably does change it a lot more. So be ready to shut that one down. Know what those powers do. That's why I just talked about them in a fair amount of detail here and know which ones affect you the most. Uh, so so one thing I like to try to do to add on to that is um, when I'm playing specifically Eldar players, but anyone who has a lot of psychers, 
Uh, and that's I I want to I, I like to find out who has what psychic powers. Yes. Because uh, yes. typically, especially with Eldar players, they have like a bunch of psychers. They don't all have the same psychic loadout. Nope. Uh, you know, usually got a lot like of a Elder psychers only know one power. Right. Yeah. Uh, so so you want to start picking off those particular you, you you don't necessarily pick them off like like literally like kill them, but um yeah. you, you, you you definitely want to try doing that. Well, I, I understand that that can be difficult. So right, so that's not and that was that was going to get in my third point, but I want to <laughs> let Pablo finish his thought here. <laughs> um, but. Uh, you, you always kind of want to keep tabs, uh, mental tabs on where all those psychers are. And so, like, yes. uh, the way I do is, is I'll start either giving them nicknames based off their colors. <laughs> um, or if usually opponents are good about that, they're like, this one has an axe and this one has a red axe and a right. blue sword. You know, the, usually opponents will will separate, especially a lot of the players who frequent tournaments. Um, but mm-hmm. if your opponent ha- has, like, the same old pewter warlock model with a sword um put dice next to them if you have different yeah. color dice or just something that helps you remember which ones are which also for your opponent too uh you, you know some level of bookkeeping yeah. i think especially if you have that much going on um is needed for a good clean game and for a good tactical game yes yeah it's i mean you need a way to differentiate which guy has which powers and don't let your pl- opponents play a shell game in that respect it's like yeah oh. i think this was the one who had it. it's like you do you think that or do you know that <laughs> my um, favorite is yeah. the oh i wouldn't have put the guy with doom in front so that he could die right <laughs> um but uh to pablo's point earlier about uh assna- assassinating the eldar psychers are not like particularly tough in most cases they have four up invulns but that's about all they got going for them um yeah. especially for melee based armies it's very easy for you to potentially like slip that one character in and just murder whichever psyker is most dangerous to you and yeah, yeah. then you're gonna lose that character because they're right in the middle of the enemy army and they've got all their guns and everything still but in taking out their buffs and debuffs you can really change how the game will go yeah right. uh, another thing to to know is uh is uh sometimes the psychers will kill themselves with perils yes that's not very for, likely at all for eldar that happen. is super rare um, other psychers, obviously more of a thing, but, like, Eldar Farseers are functionally immune to perils. Um, not only do they have a built-in re-roll, they often have a Warlord trait for a re-roll, and then they have two-up two up Philnofane against the mortal wounds they take from it. So, they're, they're never gonna die from perils. Yeah, I think... It... In all of my games with Eldar, which every Eldar army I've ever run has had a Farseer in it, and they cast two powers a turn every turn the whole game, I think I've taken a total of, like, three wounds from uh, Perils of the Warp. It's just, like, it doesn't happen. Yeah, another thing um, is on on their durability, uh, to capitalize on that, if you're someone, if you have a lot of troop choices, especially a lot of cheap troop choices... Uh, scouts can take out warlocks pretty oh, efficiently. Oh, absolutely. Any, anything with like strength four, close combat attacks, or snipers. Know, snipers um, can do it very well. They uh, they have that. They're still T three in most cases, unless they're riding a jet bike. So those snipers are wounding on threes and getting the mortals occasionally. Um, and that four up invuln is okay, but it's not as good as three up armor. Yeah, and and if you chart charging, if you start charging warlocks, especially if they're not on bikes. Uh, or other Eldar characters and keeping them in combat, you can mm-hmm. start messing with like smite, uh, smite targets because yep. the vis- closest visible models all of a sudden become these like angry scouts 
bursting through walls and jumping on this poor innocent warlock. Yes. Uh, well, not innocent, but you know. innocent depends on your point of view. Um, and that and that's that's a thing that applies to not just Eldar psychers, but most that's psychers true. in general. Uh, they yeah. are typically not very good in close combat. You can often bully them with even relatively weak units. Yeah, GW did a good job of that. Uh, Mephiston's the only one you don't want to bully. Sure. Uh, well, you know, I would argue there's a lot of there's actually a decent amount of them. Like Magnus is not one you want to believe. Oh, sure, no. there, there's <laughs> certainly you know Zinch demon princes and stuff like that. There certainly <laughs> are some strong combat Fair psychers enough. out there. But your typical psyker, your Eldar warlock, your space marine librarian, etc., is not a guy who wants to be spending a lot of time in combat. I, I just got this visual of Catachans going like, "Oh, there's a psyker across the wall. Let's go beat up on a <laughs> little nerd." And it's like Magnus. It's it's just straight out of an '80s uh, comedy <laughs> film. It's just yes. Uh, so um, uh, let, let's go ahead and talk about the final topic. Uh, so, I, I, the other thing I was going to say. I'll go ahead, Shane. Countering psychers in general um, is uh, know the limitations of the powers. So, so lots of shooting powers do require you to shoot the closest unit. We'll have something less important there. Yeah is generally a good plan. Well, I think we're getting yeah. into the, uh, you know, how to counter psychers if you aren't a psyker kind yeah. of Yeah, so, so, so the, the final topic, as uh, Sean, uh, ta-da, pointed out, is um, dealing with the psychic phase uh, if you're an army who doesn't really participate in it. Um, now, I, I would like to give a bit of a warning before this segment. Uh, this is not going to be a guide to help Necron and Tau players all of a sudden dominate the psychic phase and dominate psychic focused armies. Um, (laughs) You know, there are certain armies that just aren't good at certain things and have weaknesses. You know, Tau will never be able to out combat certain things. Uh, Orcs will never be able to out shoot Tau (laughs) and black Templars will never be able to do, have an advantage against anything. It's just, (laughs) that's so true. (laughs) I feel bad for you guys. The point is fired, but missed and failed to wound. (laughs) (laughs) The, The point is, is that, uh, we're going to talk about uh, about uh, ways that non-psychic focused armies, specifically like Necrons and Tau and Dark Eldar, because you guys, you poor guys, don't have anything really. I think I think there might be one rogue relic somewhere, or I don't know. There stratagem. is a little bit of stuff, but it's not typically very much. Right, and so so th- this segment's kind of dedicated to you guys. Uh, there is still stuff that you guys can do in your games uh, that you can be mindful of to make that kind of weakness, um, uh, just kind of shore that weakness in your army. Uh, and mm-hmm. so the first thing I, I just want to say right off the bat is is high point units. Um, in general, high point units are a double-edged sword mm-hmm. already in, in 40k tournament games. But in particular, when it comes to psychic-based armies, high point units can be a huge double-edged sword uh, for everyone, not just for psychic armies. So, for example, uh, Death Stars or... or uh, armies that rely on single large point units to buff up uh, when those large point units either get tied up in close combat or if they're on the wrong side of the board where they need to be maybe they got baited off to the side or, or the opponent moved them because they're too cautious for whatever reason uh, high point units can be a double-edged sword on yeah. the flip side they can be very very powerful so if you have like a large uh, like a, a large unit of like mega knobs or something uh, you can absolutely just tear into or a bulgrin you can tear into uh, your opponent's lines, and then just start eating all the debuffs and still be okay, you know, or the opposite. The, it, 
go on, Sean. Well, I, I was going to say, um, for these armies that are, like, buffing up one unit to invincibility or near invincibility, if you invalidate that unit's participation in the game, it doesn't matter that you can't stop its psychic buffs. Exactly. Um, if they have thrown every buff under the sun into Magnus, and he's regenerating D3 wounds a turn, and minus one to hit, and three up invuln, and reroll this, and invulnerable that... Um, and your response to that is, cool, fight some Nurglings for me. Um, it doesn't matter what buffs he has on him. You're not intending to kill him, so all of his defensive buffs are completely irrelevant. Right, and on the flip side, uh, your debuffs are also better against your higher point units, too. So if you have your awesome yeah. unit of 10-man, Death Shroud, Death Guard, Bodyguard, or your Castellan, um, mm -hmm. if you have like those Death Shroud, Bodyguard that only move 4 inches, uh, right. and your opponent casts the Eldar power that halves their movement... You're yep. moving two inches all of a sudden. That's not going to make you feel good. Uh, no. You know, especially because it's like an 800 point unit or whatever, however, however expensive. Doesn't it also is. have their charge distance. No, it doesn't. That's the that's a different thing. <laughs> um, there's a space marine stratagem that can do that. But, yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah. So, um, it not having those big units to be debuffed is one way of defending against debuffs. Um, if you don't have a good target for that doom or jinx or whatever, it doesn't matter what your opponent's like, yeah, I'm dooming your scouts, and you're like, cool. Yeah, and so... so I don't MSU, care if those guys die. Right. Yeah. MSU strategies uh, do typically, uh, as I see, do typically tend to be a little better against psychic-focused strategies. Smites mm -hmm. don't work as well against MSU strategies because you can kind of mess with their smite priority because you put a lot of different units in their faces. And uh, and also, your, when your units are all low-value, mortal wounds are most effective against expensive, powerful units. Right. If you're smiting yes. guardsmen, you're wasting your time. Right. Oh, yeah. So... So uh, it, that that's that's a uh, one thing that you definitely want to look at if you're having trouble if you're those if you're Necrons I think especially if you're Necrons and Tau because the big Riptides and stuff are really susceptible to psychic powers um, definitely. Uh, but uh, another thing I, I I think that I think we've kind of already talked about um, throughout the episode, but I'd like to kind of reiterate and drive the point home is is measuring distances. Yeah. You always want to be measuring, measuring, measuring. Uh, that's kind of true in 40k in general, uh, mm -hmm. but for the psychic phase, especially if you're weak to certain powers, um, you definitely want to be aware of what the ranges are, and you want to be constantly measuring and looking at, at what your opponent could potentially debuff for buff, um, and then kind of just build your game plan around that. And... Yeah, uh, often giving your opponent, because you can only cast a power that isn't smite once, Yes. Uh, saying, well, here's two options, which one are you picking? Mm-hmm. Um, and something Shailene had touched on a little bit earlier, but I think is very relevant here. Um, all of those powers that target things that don't have to be the closest, those all need line of sight in pretty yes. much every case. So if the guy they want to kill is out of line of sight, they don't get to do it. <laughs> uh, unless, you, unless you're pulling Grey Knight shenanigans, but yes. We're not going to talk about every single special exception that it is possible under the rules. We would be here for years. I know. I'm giving you shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, Pablo's Pablo's point about measuring ranges. If you, if that a warlock moves seven plus d six inches when he advances and has a power with an eighteen inch range, then make sure you're not within thirty one inches of him if you don't want to get that power cast on you. Oh yeah, that's another thing. 
all of the psychers can advance and move and still cast their powers. Yes, You're advancing welcome. does not affect the casting of your powers. Um, always worth remembering. Advancing is kind of inherently unreliable, but you at least know what your opponent's maximum advance movement is. That's real easy to calculate. Yep, had six. Right. Uh, th this one is more for, this next tip is more for people uh, with allies. Um, so, sorry, Necrons and Tau. <laughs> but uh, if you have alternative detachments uh, or specific... Uh, factions like like black templars or sisters sub factions uh, yeah, yeah sub factions or, or whatever you want to call them uh dynasty or whatever i don't know but whatever uh if you have those in your codex inherently like if you're a pure space room player um you know i would consider adding adding like a black templar unit or two uh black templar scouts work particularly well for this uh mm -hmm. and that's for their their strategy that lets you shut off a power on a four up uh, that's yes. really, really, really good. Uh, Does not yeah. care what the casting roll was. Your opponent rolls a 14 with Magnus. That's super. I turned yeah, it 24 off on a 24-inch range. 24-inch range. Uh, you don't need line of sight. Um, on scouts, it's good because you have three points that your opponent mm -hmm. has to kind of be careful of, which gives yep. you an element of board control. And on top of that, if one of the scouts dies, the other two can still deny. Um mm -hmm. And then obviously, if you have like a full like Sisters of Battle army, for example, where you can deny from all of your units, uh, yes. it, it can greatly increase your ability to shut off a key power. Um, uh, easy yeah. to forget, but Chaos Space Marines also have access to the yeah. essentially the same stratagem through World Eaters. Yep. So yep. Uh, if you are bringing along some World Eaters, which we may see a little bit more of here in the future, um, they have a similar tool in their box. Yes. And uh, Gene Stealer Colt finally, I guess Tyr and Tyranids too, but um, uh, Gene Stealer Colt already have some psychic defense, but if you're a Gene Stealer Colt or Tyranid player, there's also Yormungandr? The uh, Yormungandr, no, no, it's uh, Kronos is the Kronos, stratagem. thank you. Because it's the anti-psychic one, and yeah, that stratagem is super strong. Forces your opponent to cast on a single d6 rather than 2d6, and combined with that minus one, pretty much means the power fails. Yeah, and the reason why we bring these these all of these up is that they're really minute, small changes you can make to your army that can drastically affect your ability to perform against psychic armies. Uh, yes. Just like the Calexus assassin, which yeah. I don't think we need to beat home to death. He's yeah. amazing he's, against. Psychers. He's good. At, he's good at stopping psychers. If you really need to stop psychers in your period, you can take one of them. Um, yeah. But these are all small changes, and the most important thing is they let you selectively shut down the most important power each turn. Um, yes. And this is kind of going back to that, like, you need to know what is most dangerous to you. These will stop the one power that you absolutely cannot have happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, I'll let you guys take it away. Um... Well, I mean, there is the classical Tau strategy of how to deal with Psychers, is They're that they have fleshy mortal bodies, <laughs> and those bodies are vulnerable to failing saves and being removed from the table. Um, yep. That is how Tau deal with pretty much all of their problems, but it turns out it's a pretty okay way to deal with those things. Yeah. Um, if you're a Tau gunline and you peel away the Psyker defense, yep. um, you usually do pretty well. The what you you are probably going to have to accept several turns of getting smitten and doomed and jinxed and warp timed and all of this nonsense. Uh, but you know what all that can do, so you can kind of like predict what they're going to be using it for. Um, 
And in the meanwhile, you were using your superior firepower to just strip away all of those bodies they have in front of their psychers. And when those psychers have to start taking saves, they are a lot less happy about things. Again, psychers are not that tough on their own. It's they're they're almost always support units for other strategies. I will say that it is a lot easier to kill psychers in the charge phase and in the fight phase than in shooting. It's true. I mean, uh, character because, provides a lot yeah. of innate protection there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But and, and, you can shoot them just like you can shoot anything else. Tau that's true. and Necrons are both familiar with that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, a little bit of um, a little bit of quick post FAQ excitement. We are in the middle of October as we are mm-hmm. recording this, and I, for one, am very excited for orcs to come out. If you're listening I to this in the future, a lot of people is. Yeah, and, and orcs are one of those armies that that does well against a lot of a lot of armies, but in particular, I feel like orcs do really well against Eldar just on paper. If you think about how orcs play out without all their cool stratagems and relics, which I'm sure if you're listening in the future, you already know about. Um, but I predict that that orcs are are really solid counter to Eldar because of their ability to put bodies in their face and target those mushy little characters. I might be wrong. We'll see. Yep. I don't. I don't know what comes in the Orc Codex, so we will. We'll see how that all pans out. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I wouldn't. Orcs I wouldn't put it outside. Orcs actually have some more reliable psychers in the game. They do. They're they do an really interesting animal. Psychers. I don't want to say a <laughs> lot about them because it's going to all but... be changing super soon. That's true. Yeah. Um. But I, so... I just imagine like hordes of boys, you know, running into these yeah. poor warlocks hiding in corners and ruins. <laughs> That'll be a thing. For somebody, I'm sure. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, one thing I, I wanted to say, uh, one other thing I wanted to say is, um, back to the psychic phase being inconsistent. Yes. Uh, the psychic phase is is inconsistent and dicey, um, mm-hmm. just like 40k, but but psychic phase Even does tend so. to be a little more so. Um, yes. So if you're a player and you're and you're, you're kind of like like you're down on your luck maybe it's turn four your opponent hasn't had a bad psychic phase i would say just just keep waiting for it and then um always kind of put yourself in position to strike if you need to um yeah you you know if if your opponent has a bad psychic phase so like if there's a a perfect example is is, unfortunately i'm gonna use seventh edition as an example but i I think it's my best example um is is if you have a death star if you're if you have an opponent's death star there's always like this this mentality that if they're their invisibility didn't go off you had to put everything into that death star um and so the same kind of rings true in eighth edition if you if there's like a buffing unit or if there's uh, a part of your opponent's strategy that relies on these psychic powers to go off and they don't go off you should have your units in position to capitalize on it um so if if there's that key moment when eldrad just doesn't like just doesn't cast a power off and you've had a beat on Eldred the entire game, but you, mm-hmm. you finally decided like, eh, he's going to get it off again. I'm going to move this broadside that, that I was, I was particularly like using to, you know, keep an eye on the unit Eldred was buffing. Like I'm going to move this broadside cause he's going to get it off again. And then Eldred doesn't get it off. And then the broadside can't shoot at that unit that he was going to buff. And then you're thinking, you know, feels bad, man. Yeah, you well, always the... be ready for them to screw up a power because it's going to happen reasonably often. Yeah, yeah. I, and I was also going to point out, uh, Pablo, and with the problem with your example slightly is that you still get to move after they've done their psychic phase because that's on their turn and not your turn. That's yeah. true. It's that's, it's that's kind a of fair more point. of a reactive sort of thing. Well, they were cast a power, and you're like. Oh, so you didn't get your plus one invuln this turn, huh? Well, I'm just gonna come right over here and I'm gonna kill your little idiots. That's yeah. that's a a really good point, Shaylin. 
Um, um, yeah, so you so, should never so... be so far out of position that one that you require more than one movement phase to capitalize on their mistake. Oof, yeah, that's getting pretty <laughs> far out to field. Maybe that's where Tal want to say it anyway. Well, I mean, they would love to just keep backing up until forever, but uh, the game board <laughs> is finite. <laughs> um, another uh, quick little thing, uh, this is going back to like adding something into your army, is having any psychers versus zero psychers is a huge upgrade. Yes. Yeah. Even just one that li- one little Libby. guy who lets you ca- try one deny each turn can tip things a fair bit because it's going to change your opponent's math in terms of like do i need to re-roll this die you know i passed on a six is that good enough is he just going to shut down my big important power whereas if you have no denies at all they're like yeah six is good enough yeah and then they're also more liberal with their movement if you don't have any denies too Mm -hmm. you know so that they can like uh you know they can just keep moving up until they get to your big nasty castell and, and treason of zine shit or something yep um but if you have like psychers if you have psychers up in your front lines ready to deny your opponent might be more weary of moving up closer which no, might give your so. oh, exactly which might give your castellan an extra shot or two um or you an ability or an ability to kind of like move away from their psychic powers uh yeah, so I... yeah i agree being able to participate on some level, even if it's a little sh- crappy guy, even if you're not really a good person at the psychic phase, it's like, nah, I, I don't even care if the power goes off. The presence of him there gives you a tool you didn't have before. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, one final thing uh, before we close out the episode uh, is by far the most important, or I guess not the most important, but by far the best way to learn all of this stuff is to play with a psychic based army um so if you're a necron player or a tau player or a dark eldar player you don't get a chance to psychic phase very often i hear you but if you have a buddy who play who has an eldar army or maybe you can even proxy with a couple friends and get some practice games in um Mm -hmm. or if you if you play a game and then swap lists which is a very common thing a lot of really high-end players will say uh will advise for you to do uh and you get a chance to play a couple psychic phases kind of see how how it goes and and what powers you need um you can definitely see where weaknesses are because i know we missed a lot of stuff uh oh yeah and 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 there's good oh i was gonna say everything always looks invincible when you're staring across the table from it but when you're the one at the helm it suddenly feels a lot more fragile Right. Oh, and yeah. like what you feel like is ah ha ha, I just I they pass every psychic power every time and whereas like when you're on your end of things you're kinda like, I failed two out of my five powers this turn. I needed better than that. Yes. Um But yeah, okay. list list swapping and testing things out from playing other armies is a great tool for learning the game better and if you are someone who is trying to learn the game better which you probably are if you're listening to this segment um, i would highly recommend spending some time playing armies other than the one that you're used to even if it's not very much just to get a vague feel for it yeah um and talking with other people who play that army like Yes. For example, talking to Sean about Eldar powers and when he prefers them and stuff in hypothetical scenarios can teach you a lot about them. Mm-hmm. You it, you almost certainly know some people in your area who play all these different armies. Talk to them about their armies. Most people like talking about their army. And if you don't have those kind of players in your area or you're looking to start a psychic-based army to help your psychic game out, go to FrontlineGaming.org where you can purchase the Eldar Codex and all of its runes glory 
or you can go to our secondhand shop where you can purchase Eldar models, librarians, and all those other guys for pretty good prices. Yeah, I was going to say, I bet there's going to be one or two Eldar models in there come December. <laughs> uh, thank you guys very much for listening. Um, if you're listening now uh, and and you're listening in the future, you can go ahead and tune in now. But I just wanted to give a brief announcement at the end of the episode uh, for those of you who are keeping up with the current chapter tactics. Uh, and that's regarding last week's uh, lack of an episode. Ah, uh, yes. So for those of you who don't know, uh, I was at the Iron Halo last week, so this is it's October 10th or October 16th today, uh, and that was on October 9th or October 7th, uh, October 8th through the 7th. I was at the Iron Halo, and uh, I know I said I was going to get an episode out that week or, or that Monday, um, but unfortunately I had a family emergency that weekend, so I was in Oklahoma. I was uh, freaking out, you know, because it, it was a little dicey, a little intense. Um, so I did not record that episode. So I do apologize, guys. Uh, family is important to me, and family comes first, which is why I did not record that episode. Uh, the reason why I'm saying all this is not only uh, because I wanted to let you guys know that that I would go on to my regular schedule, which is every Tuesday morning or Monday at midnight um, if you're up that late, <laughs> but because of the overwhelming support I received. Um, you guys are the best fans ever. There are a lot of people at the Iron Halo who listen to this podcast who came up to me and wished me the best of luck and uh you know I, I just I was very touched and there was a lot of people who reached out to me via email asking if I was okay because there was no podcast that went up um or or maybe they were on my personal Facebook and word got out um so everything's okay everything's fine now uh everything's going to go back to normal we're we're going to have a special uh, episode with the preferred enemies and the flying monkey podcast where we talk about the iron halo and we kind of talk about the future of 40k and and um <laughs> y you know just a just kind of like a post iron halo post tournament episode it's really really good um it's a, it's a good collab with the preferred enemies and the flying monkey guys and with the to of the event the iron halo um so that's going to come out this week and then next week i i'm hoping to have some sort of large tournament coverage episode um that'll get recorded that'll be another bonus episode so next week the schedule is going to kind of look like uh this week we're going to get the the special iron halo episode bonus episode next week will be monday we'll talk about the shooting phase and then sometime later on that week we will talk about uh tournament coverage right before the socal open and then after the socal open we'll probably take a break up before we get into the charge phase and talk about the socal open and then go into November and stuff. So that's just wanted to give you guys a quick little shout out for those of you stuck at the end. Um, once again, you guys are the best listeners and that's all. Uh, Shaylin, Sean, thank you both for coming on and staying up late to record with me. Uh, you guys are champions. Hey, it's not late for us. Yeah. Graveyard shift makes everything easy. Also shout out to Shaylin's job. Uh, I, we don't we don't have to say it on air, but Shaylin's boss is is the man. He's he's letting me record from his office, <laughs> which is really cool. All right, guys, have a good one. All right, cheers. Thanks for having us, Pablo.